You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And, you know, space, we know, is the final frontier. It's been a source of mystery and wonder for as long as we've looked up at the sky. The great space race began in the 1950s, and countries tried to figure out how to launch a human into space, of course, to orbit the Earth and return safely. And space exploration continues, and we're seeing more of a merger between government and commercial enterprises when it comes to space exploration. I'm honored today to have in studio John Schaffner. John is an astronaut with Axiom, and in May, he piloted Axiom Space's AX2 mission to the International Space Station on the SpaceX Dragon. He currently lives right here in Knoxville. He's an extreme sports lover. He's quite quite the background, which we'll get into. He's originally from Alaska and is the first person from Alaska to go to space. Hello, John. Welcome to More Living. (laughs) Good morning, Jim. And I didn't know that fact about Alaska until I was actually in orbit, someone told me. Really? Yeah, it's it's a good one. So you were born in Alaska. You grew up in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, eastern Kentucky. Uh, We were talking off air. It's where my family's from. My father uh, was born there with his family and and raised there. Um, How did you get from Alaska to Middlesbrough, Kentucky? Well, I I was born there on an Air Force base, actually. My dad was in the Air Force. He was a a fighter pilot. He flew F-89 Scorpions on the Dew Line. If you remember, you know, the Russians were not only... You know, chasing us down in space, we were also afraid they were coming over the, the Arctic, you know, to get us. So we had a series of radar installations along the Arctic Circle that um, we piloted and, and patrolled a lot. And he was he was in that core. Um, but he was from Middlesbrough. And when he got out of the Air Force uh, in the later 50s, we moved back to Middlesbrough. So that's where I grew up. Well, there you go. Then how did you end up settling in Knoxville? Uh, well, I had a business eventually. It was a family business that I uh, began to run uh, in the uh, 70s. And uh, as uh, the business grew, uh, I moved it to Knoxville to you know, attract more talent, just to be able to get people to move to us. Well, I'm looking here at some of the things you've done here. 8,500 flight hours. You've completed 3,000 skydives is that, and base jumps. Is that right? Yeah, it doesn't seem to add up and make a lot of sense, but yeah, you jump in. 3,000 skydives and base jumps. And then um, second in a championship motorsports race. You finished second in, a, in that. And you list as your hobbies whitewater kayaking, water skiing. You know, you don't see a lot of water skiers anymore. Everybody does water surfing or, or, uh, or boarding. Yeah, I guess it's a we it's a, we I very I grew up our family skied and I just never see actual skiers out on the lake anymore. Yeah, well we all remember Cypress Gardens if you grew up in the 60s. Yeah. Cypress. <laughs> so that that kind of inspired us. Hang gliding. 
skydiving, base jumping, of course, in motorsports. Are you an adrenaline junkie? <clears throat> Uh, you, you know, I think it's more dopamine these days. I think if you look further into body chemistry, we, we thrive on the things that excite us, and that would involve, you know, neurochemicals. So speaking of that, let's, what was it like being a pilot taking off and entering the Earth's orbit? Well, that was a, you know, that was a thrilling thing, and, and people ask me a lot, you know, were you afraid or whatever, but, uh, you know, I never, never sensed a, an aspect of fear. I think it is because I followed it my entire life. You know, in the 60s, uh, the space race began. And when that got going, that was the biggest thing in the news. Uh, and everyone followed the space race. So I grew up following that and fell in love with space. So I've been so attached to it and followed it that when I got my chance to go, um, it was just like I was doing what I had always observed. And it was a really, really cool experience. Well, and one thing we're going to get into is the, the education and, and the STEM research and some of the stuff that's going on at the International Space System. And I know you've spoken about those formative years between, when a kid's between 10 and 14. Can you just kind of expand on that? It sounds like that's what happened for you during the space race. Is that where you got really hooked on space exploration and all those then science? Yeah, yeah, for sure, Jim. You know, that, was the, <clears throat> that was the culmination as what? you know, what caused me to, you know, to be available when space finally became accessible. Uh, when I was eight years old, we had a young astronauts club in Middlesboro. A group of us were always liking space. And then our moms would take us to one of, one of our friend's house every Saturday. And we had this space camp. It was kind of a training center. We had cardboard boxes and paper barrels and we roll around and we were pretending to be Gemini pilots because those were the heroes of the day. Um, and we played and did that. And, that, that notion stayed with me, and the vision of being an astronaut is what formed in me, and the love of space and science. And I think, I think for every young person, 8, 10, 12 years old, they all have that vision of themselves, something that they carry and believe in, uh, and that would stay with us our entire lives. And I really believe that if, you, if they don't follow that and make that a career, that ends up being their hobby when they're 50. I think that's very well said. Let's let's just talk about being up there. How how long were you on the International Space Station? Uh, we were docked eight days. Uh, we were supposed to be there ten or eleven, uh, but there was a traf a, a parking problem <laughs> on the ISS, so we had to juggle things around. We came back a couple of days early, but eight, eight days, eight marvelous days. Wow, what was what was more nerve wracking, taking off or reentry coming back? Well, reentry is more interesting, I think. Well, you know, that's hard to say. You know, I, I wouldn't want to offend the launch crew. But the, um, well, the aspect of you know, walking out, you know, taking the uh, elevator ride at Pad 39A, which is, of course, the same elevator the Apollo astronauts took, you know, up to level 260, uh, and walking okay, out. That's wild. Uh, you know, all of that uh, is cool. And then the, uh, of course, training is so intense that when, when it actually happens, it it's almost like training. It's just you're doing the same thing, and you know the staging, uh, insertion into orbit, catching the first glimpse of the station on approach, and then that final final you know you know long hour and a half approaching slowly to dock is cool, but then reentry coming in in a ball of fire that's pretty cool too. You know, <laughs> we really like that part. Well, I guess uh, you, you mentioned the training. I guess you know the goal is that it's so repetitive that, you know, you don't encounter anything really that new while you're up there. When what's old saying, repetition's the mother of all skill. I like to say, I like to expand on that and actually say, no, perfect repetition is the mother of all skill. 
Yeah, well, for sure. And that results in, in the word that astronauts love most, and it's called nominal. You know, when we have a nominal event uh, and everything proceeds nominally, we love that word. Uh, that means no contingencies. That means no end of early end of mission. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a, a really well-rehearsed and well-executed flight. So how long did you train to get ready for the mission to the space station? Um, I trained a, a little over two years total. Uh, I trained as the backup pilot for AX-1, which flew in April 2022. Uh, so that started, that training started in 2021 uh, as backup. Uh, and then I started, after, after that mission flew, uh, I started training uh, as flight crew with Peggy Whitson uh, in the Dragon capsule with SpaceX. And then um, lots and lots of training at Johnson Space Center at NASA for two years. So, so a lot of kids growing up, you know, they dream of being an astronaut. So... Were you fulfilling a childhood dream? I mean, you you were doing other, other so many other things with, you know. I mean, you've you've had all these flight hours and all this adventure, and but was that kind of always the dream was to eventually be in space? Well, it has to be. I would think there's no way I can answer it any other way. Uh, yeah, you know, I think the the love and the interest to be part of space and to be an astronaut, if that's in you, then it you know it stays there. And it didn't really start to fade away until I was in my 30s. I said, well, this is probably not going to happen. I just didn't find a way to, to make it there. Um, but then suddenly it popped up. So, yeah, it's, I, I felt like I was taking that 10-year-old John back to space. Well, and I want to get, we're going to get into the science stuff and the, and the training and the education. And we're also going to talk about this merger of government and commercial um, so I'll tell you what, we're visiting with John Schaffner, astronaut that just returned from the International Space Station. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this merger, uh, this, these joint missions between, say, NASA and private industry. Uh, and we'll hear more about his experiences. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're visiting with astronaut and Knoxville resident John Schaffner, and uh, he just got back from the International Space Station. I know uh, many times we sit out in our backyard and we watch the International Space Station uh, go over go overhead. It's interesting. I mentioned this merger of government and private industry and commercialization of space exploration. I remember I don't remember how long ago it was. It was within the last year where there was just a a convoy of satellites that Elon Musk had put up. And they were like just single file going straight across the sky. And it was just amazing how perfectly aligned and it, it was just amazing. So can you talk a little bit? I mean, you went through, it was really a, a joint thing with NASA and and private industry, right? So can you just expand a little bit about the mission and, and how that came to be and what the mission of the company is and all that? Certainly. the uh, in, in 2019, uh, NASA made a policy decision to open um, its its doors to commercial and private industry to access space through the International Space Station. Uh, and they did that for uh, a, a very definitive purpose, and that was to enable them to 
later you know to bring more commercialization to low earth orbit so that nasa could move on to improve their performance in going to the moon and later mars they wanted to be a customer in low earth orbit not a service provider so eventually the international space station will be decommissioned and that's planned to be, happen around 2030 it'll be deorbited i mean that'll be a sad day i think when we see the deorbit the actual deorbiting of the international space station They'll drop it into Point Nemo uh, between, it's in the deep South Pacific Ocean, a place where they dump large uh, orbital equipment. Um, but they they want to close the business case for them on their budget because the space station is an expensive thing. It's built up of international partners, uh, 15 international partners, primarily Russia, Canada, uh, European Space Agency, and JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency, and some others. Uh, and those partners won't fund forever, and NASA won't continue or should not continue it uh, themselves. Uh, it's a taxpayer load. So they want to spend their budget and push that toward lunar exploration, lunar base, and orbiting lunar space station. And um, they've invited private industry to you know, start participating in low-Earth orbit activities, and that led to uh, to my mission. Yes, and this was, was this the, the first commercial mission that had both private and government-sponsored astronauts? Uh, that's correct. Uh, AX2, we flew, as you know, uh, a crew of two uh, Saudi Arabian astronauts, which was their first National Astronaut Corps, their first class. Two marvelous individuals, Rayana Barnawi and uh, Ali Arkani. Uh, Ali was a fighter pilot from the Soviet Air, uh, the uh, Saudi Arabian Air Force, and Rayana was a young researcher from industry, from um, the medical industry. Um, so they represented an initialization of the Saudi government's first go to space. And that's opened the doors for other governments to start doing the same thing. Now, while at the International Space Station, you were able to connect with students from around the world. So tell us about the, the live events you hosted. Well, yeah, those are a lot of fun. You know, that was, you know, more fun than I expected. Uh, you know, uh, you know, for me, it was, uh, as I told you, as a 10-year-old, um, I wanted to go to space. So I imagine during the course of my training that there is going to be other 10-year-olds out there that are thinking the same thing. So we did a couple of things. Uh, we, number one, we, we uh, conceived and, and initiated uh, an international art and poetry contest, which we invited students around the world in f uh, three age groups, you know, five to, five to 10, 11 to 13, and 14 to 18 to send us either art or poetry about what it would be like to live in space. And we got 930 entries from 26 countries. So we took those to space and exhibited some of our favorites. Um, and we had a lot of live links to schools, uh, school in Ireland, school in Portugal, uh, and a couple schools in the U.S. Um, and talking to the kids, we got some amazing uh, uh, results. Uh, and it, what we learned, Jim, was that the idea and the curiosity and the love of space is so alive and well in young people today, and it's not even taught as a class in school. So they're thinking about these things, and they've got these amazing drawings that we that we accumulated. Uh, we're wondering how they have these notions already. It must be just an innate curiosity that we have as humans that is alive in a ten-year-old. It's truly amazing. Yeah. So, so when you did these live events, like how many how many kids attended these things? Uh, it varied. Um, we did one at MIT for a middle school that had, um, I think, 200 students. Uh, Middlesboro, Kentucky had a, had their entire middle school uh, in their auditorium. Uh, they had 150 cool. plus. Um, the school in Portugal, you know, had 60 or 70 
in Ireland, you know, had 30, 40, 50. Um, so, yeah, it was like that. And they were just jam-packed, lots of great questions and a lot, a lot of exciting stuff. Now, the space station is known for its scientific experiments in zero gravity. So what kinds of experiments did you work on while you were there? The uh, uh, were, uh, and It's a great question because that's what the ISS was designed for initially. Um, and it still is alive. It's, it's a joint partnership between NASA for product development for NASA's side and the uh, international space, the ISS National Laboratory, which is a, a national laboratory, just like we have lots of those here, just like Oak Ridge National Labs. Um, and they have lots of researchers that wanted to do things. Uh, so if you were a researcher here at UT and you had something that you believed would you would want to unfold and develop an understanding of how it performed in microgravity, you can make an application to the ISS National Lab and they would eventually work you through the process of getting you on board to do your experiment. And that's what we did. We took over, we just stepped in line uh, and took on some of the existing flow of uh, experiments that researchers had put in place. Uh, there were a couple for genetic uh, research, looking at um, also at stem cell production for cancer research. Uh, we did several related to the eye, the, the, how the eye performs long-term in space. And a lot of these were for, uh, for biological and life science experiments, you know, here on earth. And some of the experiments were how does the physiology change and how do we live longer and, and perform in space long-term or long-term space flight? Yeah, that's pretty fascinating stuff. You, um, you plan to launch a foundation, John, to, st to fund STEM certification for select schools. What kind of impact do you want to have with your foundation and how important is it to get young people engaged and interested in STEM? Wow, how much time do we have? I know, that could yeah. be like, uh, you know, just, just <laughs> hey, just go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, that that is one of the, the greatest things I learned. Here. I mean, that's one of your passions, right? Well, it, it's it's turned out to be my greatest. You know, I thought it was just, you know, John taking a 10-year-old John back to space because he wanted to go and to exercise that ability because the chance was here. Um, and having a chance to connect with students, you know, showed me that the passion is there in students. And it also showed me that uh, and reminded me, just as I had that little voice in me when I was 10 that wanted to you know, be a, a, a participant in science, participant in space, that that voice is in all of us that has some, some message and that we should pay attention to it, that that is what we want to become. So also, you know, in the school that I grew up in, it did not have a ton of resources, you know, to help me with my individual passion or the next student with theirs. So we've decided to uh, create a foundation, which is underway now. We're starting with the Middlesboro Middle School to help them uh, and support them in becoming a STEM certified school. Uh, and the STEM certification is uh, a change in the curriculum that focuses on problem solving and uh, creative thinking primarily. So teaching a student how to break a large problem down into small problems and move to solve it. And it's, it's totally agnostic of, of any particular science or whatever it may be. In fact, we use STEAM today. We stick the A in there for art. A lot of people are doing that. Where science, technology, engineering, art, and math are emphasized in schools. Um, and where schools can't afford in their budget to provide uh, direct access to the tool sets to teach students or even the data accumulating tools for data analytics 
student analytics to understand how a student is performing on a real-time basis. Uh, we want to help them uh, access those tools and acquire those uh, to improve their uh, curriculum. Tell you what, we're going to get to our uh, to our bottom of the hour break. When we come back, um, we're just going to talk a little bit more about some of John's other adventures and kind of what's next for him. We'll also have our dollars and cents uh, segment, five tax tips as we move forward uh, to lower your tax bill because it's not how much you make, it's what you get to keep. Stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I'm just thrilled to have astronaut John Schaffner in studio with us, who just returned from the International Space Station in the first commercial mission that had both private and government-sponsored astronauts. And it's kind of interesting as to what may be on the horizon uh, with space exploration. Before we get back to John, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. Five strategies to help you reduce your tax burden over time. And with the choppy markets I expect we'll have for a while, of course, markets are always inherently potentially choppy. But I think with where we are, whatever you can do to reduce your tax burden is going to be very powerful in retirement in terms of maximizing uh, the security of your retirement income. So tip number one is what I would call investment restructuring or maybe put another way, asset location. What, where do you have your different investments housed from a tax perspective? You know, anything in an IRA or a 401k or retirement account, just about anything, when you take that money out, it is taxed as ordinary income. Uh, it does not get the preferential tax treatment of potential long-term capital gains. Um, a Roth, of course, is tax-free, but then you don't get any tax benefit when you go into the Roth like you do with an IRA or 401k. And then a non-IRA investment, just a, a traditional investment account, is taxed as it grows. And it, you can receive capital gains tax treatment. There are structures to receive tax-free income. You know, obviously municipal bonds provide tax-free income. Um Understanding where these assets are located is so critically important because long-term capital gains is one of the greatest things the IRS has ever given us or Congress has ever given us in the Internal Revenue Code. For just about every taxpayer, your capital gains rate is lower than your ordinary income tax rate, and there is a 0% tax rate for long-term capital gains. We help many, especially in retirement, many retirees take advantage of to harvest capital gains and pay zero tax. So... 
it, and, but if you've got all your capital investment that have capital gains, if they're all in your retirement accounts, you cannot take advantage of that tax treatment. So understanding the where are asset location, where are your different assets and investments housed, and what is that tax treatment? Number two would be being aware of long-term gain harvesting and long-term loss harvesting. Planning that appropriately, planning that with things like charitable giving and how that all fits together on the tax return to reduce your tax bill. But taking advantage of the preferential tax treatment of of long-term capital gains and being able to do losses uh, to help offset gains. Uh, Number three would be delaying Social Security when you are retired. Now, there's a lot to to that equation on Social Security election that we've talked about over the years, but one of the advantages of delaying your Social Security benefit in addition to seeing the 8% per year increase in your benefit for delaying is it provides you with much greater tax planning flexibility because you don't have that income showing up on your tax return. Now then, where are you going to get your income from and what is the taxation of that income? So that's all very, very much related. But one benefit of delaying Social Security that's often overlooked is the additional tax planning you can receive. Uh, Number four, holding off your retirement account distributions. With the SECURE Act 2.0 that was passed in December, they've bumped the age up to 73 before you have to start taking money out of your taxable retirement accounts. And if you're born 1960 or later, they bump that up to age 75. So that, you know, things change when you turn 73 or 75 because you have this forced taxation from the money in your retirement accounts. Well, by adding an extra year or three years to, before you have to do that, you've got extra years that you can be doing tax planning uh, in your in your financial plan. And then finally, taking advantage of Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks and understanding that dynamic. I will, word of, a quick word of caution, I think, I think Roths are oversold. You know, usually when you're in your last 10 years of work, you're in your peak earning years, and your taxable income is the highest it's ever going to be. And where Roth, Roth makes sense as opposed to traditional IRA or 401k, Roth makes sense if your tax rate in retirement is actually going to be higher than what it is now. Well, in your peak earning years, that's oftentimes not the case, but we know we're going to have a tax increase in two and a half years when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires at the end of 2025. So those are five key strategies, quick tips to save on your tax bill over time. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do check us out on BroganFinancial.com. You can get all our, our radio shows downloaded. You can go to just click on radio. We're also podcast on whatever your favorite podcast app is. Just go to More Living with Jim Brogan. Um, we also have a plethora of resources Uh, to provide you with great information so you can make prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life financially. Uh, So go to BroganFinancial.com and uh, check out all of our resources. We also have, I'll I'll start my college, my adult education stuff in late 
August, we have a class of adult education at Pellissippi State Community College, which is on income planning, specifically a one-night class. Uh, and then we have our two-part class at the University of Tennessee, Financial Survival for Retirement. We've also got a one-night tax planning class, two hours specifically on saving taxes uh, as you age. So check out all of those dates and all of that information. Go to broganfinancial.com. It's been a real pleasure to have John Schaffner with us, who is an astronaut, and he just returned from uh, the International Space Station. And, John, when I was looking at, you know, we mentioned some of the things here. You've, you've you participated in motorsports, uh, base jumps, skydives, hang gliding. Hang gliding scares the heck out of me. <laughs> it just seems like you could easily lose control of that thing. Uh, my brother used to... Um, he used to skydive, and he did a bunch of them. And, I mean, he did it all the time. Then he had one time he went, and he kind of jerked his back when his chute opened. But I just can't imagine doing that stuff because I'm so terrified of heights. But you also cycled across the United States in 18 days without support. Now, I, what led you to do that? <laughs> and, and, and what – tell us about that. Well, it was a, it was a bet for a dollar. Uh, I don't know how it came about. <laughs> I was in a bicycle shop one day and I, and someone was in there um, and said, you know what, you know, only so many people, like maybe 20 people at that time, had cycled across the U.S. in less than three weeks. And I said, well, I could beat three weeks. And they said, yeah, bet you a dollar you can't do that. So that started the cycle. And three months later, I found myself on an airplane going to San Diego with my bike and the cargo and uh, landed in San Diego on Saturday evening, went to the hotel there at the uh, harbor put my bike together, woke up at 1 a.m., and started pedaling home. Holy cow. So you went from San Diego to where? Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Holy cow. Um, but And without support, what does that mean? You were just completely on your own? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, did you have some assistance with things like food? And, I mean, what did you do? Well, you know, I, I organized it pretty well. You know, I did have a friend with me. He was the owner of the bike shop. He was there at the same time. So he and I started off together. Uh, with with a, a pair of sunglasses, you know, an extra pair of socks, and that was it, and about six water bottles. Um, I had uh, someone at my company, FedEx, um, a big box of power bars, actually cliff bars, sorry about that, uh, and uh, a drink mix to each Best Western Hotel or Motel 6, you know, that we were going to stop at. We, so we programmed these every 140, 150 miles. So we had to make 140 or 50 miles every day to the next Motel 6 and get my FedEx box, and that was our food. Um, so other than that, no, we, we just had us until he fell, broke his collarbone, and had to had to go home, and then I finished. Wow. So 140 to 150 miles a day. So you had it all planned out where you were going to stop. So, I mean, I would think the planning, you didn't just fly to San Diego and get on your bike and start cycling. <laughs> No, no, you know, doing that would be interesting too. I don't know where we would end. What was the hardest part of that? Um, I guess where were the biggest climbs? Uh, the biggest climb was coming out of um, Las Cruces, New Mexico, up over one of the ski areas. Uh, uh, Mount, uh, it was uh, Cloud, St. Cloud or something. Anyway, you climbed to the top. It was a ski area at the top, and then that was rewarded with this really beautiful um, sixty-mile downhill going down into Hope, New Mexico. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Wow. You know, they, the World Ironman now, you know, they moved it. It used to be in Kona, the, mm -hmm. the, the World Ironman Championship. Now it's in uh, oh, it's somewhere out west. But 
used to be the the challenge with the bike, which is a 112 mile bike after swimming uh, 2.4 miles. Right. And it used to be the big challenge was the winds of Kona. And now it's a tremendous climb. I think it's in Utah, and there are tremendous climbs in that. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. Well, I used to I used to race, and I'm I'm a I'm a small guy, um, and I, I figured out how to win races uh, was to enter races that had lots of hills. Um, so you were a climber. I was a climber, and I could I could suck it up behind uh, the you know, the big guys on the pelotons on the flats. Turns out. <laughs> They've got bigger legs and bigger hearts and lungs. And when everybody scrunches down on their bike, you've got about the same aerodynamic. So you don't have any advantage whatsoever uh, because you're light when you're on the flats, but you got to hang on to a bicycle. But when you hit the hills, they drop like flies usually. Um, or, or I was, you know, more psyched up for it. Yeah, I have a good friend who's a cycler and he's a big, big climber. And I've done a few uh, Olympic tri distance triathlons and I'm not a very good cycler. But at any rate, um, we're visiting with John Schaffner and talk about his experience going to the International Space Station. When we come back for our final segment, I want to talk about the future of space travel and what's his future. How's he going to continue to be involved? Of course, he's starting this STEM foundation, this foundation for STEM certification. Uh, so we'll find out a little bit more about the new frontier, where we're headed. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKIs. We visit with astronaut John Schaffner, who just returned from the International Space uh, Station. And I'm particularly uh, drawn to this first commercial mission between both private and government-sponsored astronauts. We're talking about his experience. John, when we look forward, I know Axiom is building a new space station. You mentioned the, the ISS will be decommissioned. How long did you say? Uh, 20, uh, 2030 is current funding, you know, to keep it, keep it going. Okay. So Axiom is developing one and that's in corroboration with NASA. Well, I it, it, it's, it's a, it's an all private endeavor. Um, uh, the, the CEO of the company, Mike Zofredini was a previous, uh, international uh, ISS program manager at NASA for 25 years. Uh, so when he retired, <clears throat> he, he, he knew that the future of the ex existing international space station was in jeopardy. So he decided to build his own. <laughs> which is a remarkable thing to say you're building a space station. I, I love that thought. So uh, uh, Axiom Space uh, is currently in process of building its first two modules, um, which will be launched in 2025, and they have a, a contract with NASA to attach to the uh, forward node, the, the front end of the space station, uh, and they'll begin operations on their first module and then a second, and eventually a power module, uh, and then eventually they'll detach from the International Space Station and become a standalone. And that would happen right in concert with the uh, deployment and the, or the decommissioning of the ISS. And then the, the continued scientific research in zero-gravity environment then will continue to be able to thrive. That's correct. And there are others, of course, building space platforms, which we'll see coming online too. And NASA is encouraging all of this. Uh, they, they don't have a, a direct relationship with Axiom, but they are providing access through contractual arrangements for these to develop. And it's, it's, it's a highly important thing to happen. You know, we cannot lose access to low earth orbit for the research that's going on. 
and the future of learning that we have to how to you know continue our push into space now what's on the horizon i know we know we're sending rovers to mars and we're doing different things what's on the horizon in the next 10 or 15 years that excites you about space exploration ah well you know we all get a chance to go i mean that's that's the cool thing right <laughs> Um, you know, until now, it's only... Yeah, but what you did is different than these guys, these guys and gals that, you know, pay a huge sum of money and just go along for the ride. Uh, well, we, there'll be room for everyone to do, you know, to take, you know, to go to space in the manner that they choose. And that's the beauty of it in the the next 10 or Now, when you say, you say in the, I was going to ask, how long till it's available for everyone within reason? Well, within reason, that's the question. Yeah, like what's uh, the cost? Yeah, you know, you, like how long till we see regularly people going up into outer into space? Well, if we look back to the early days of aviation in the twenties, you know, the to take a flight cross country in an airplane was hugely expensive, mm -hmm. uh, and, and only only people of great means you know were able to afford to do that. So it took it took people to buy those tickets to use that service. So the service expanded and developed and improved. And the cost uh, scaling improved and lowered the price. And that's what we're seeing today in spaceflight with these early introductions of commercialization and privatization. Uh, it will become more prevalent, more flights, and things like what SpaceX is doing with reusable rockets and materials, um, providing launch services. It, it is available to all. And but what about the dangers? I mean, Axiom, you got Axiom on one level, and then you got per Private Joe that just tries to build his own thing i mean they're just it's crazy the, the the variance of the quality of what's going on right now right well there's not a lot well there's a lot going on but it's all you know from what i see you know it's it's being done by high quality uh firms and and space flight or participants like boeing uh you've got blue origin involved uh lockheed martin axiom so these are all people that have had tons and tons of experience in space flight so we just hear about the, the kind of, you hear about these anomalies that are way out of the norm. Uh, yeah, that's what the news is. I right? guess that's the news. Yeah, yeah they're sensational, the, right? The Russians are still, they'll always be in space flight, and the European Space Agency will soon develop its own launch vehicle. They, they haven't had one for a while, but their plans are to do that. So we're going to get a lot of availability, and, and that will improve the cost. It's, we're visiting with John Schaffner, an astronaut that just returned from the International Space Station. What's next for you? Ah, uh, well, <clears throat> you know, from what from my learning on this trip, which was which was a, which was fabulous, um, uh, we're going to continue to push for STEM education improvement in schools, starting with the Middlesbrough Middle School, uh, so that we continue to seed the thought of uh, human development and curiosity. You know, we, we love the sciences, so we're going to push for that in the young people so that they can wake up and say, yeah, I really do want to do this or do something like this, or I'm curious about this. And it doesn't matter what the this is, is I want to do it. And we want the schools to pay attention to that and parents to listen and start helping their children explore the, their, themselves and push them to go out and do it. And that will, that will improve uh, lots of things in, in total society. Yeah, that passion, you keep, I keep coming back to that word because I hear it in you, and especially with education with kids. But the, you have a quote that you love to say, if you are not doing what you are, then you are just doing what you do. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's, I believe that's entirely true. Um, you know, I, I read a book once a long time ago, and I've talked about this a lot. It was a guy that retired from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory after 
35 years working there and he talks so vividly about this he loved his work so much he even he was doing this when he was 12 he was messing around mm-hmm. with these things so it occurred to me this guy retired after 35 years of doing exactly what he loved he never had a bad day in his life you know that you could tell um so he was doing what he was that's what he was that thing and you could be pushed i think we probably know a lot of people that are pushed into a career or a choice based on uh, a decision or influence from others that is really contrary to what the fabric of who they are and they may grow up in a career that they just mortally hate or you don't like so much, but they're doing it because they need to or money or whatever. But imagine if a child could go through high school targeting already knowing what they love and like, and the school is helping them get there. And then they're all ready to go to higher education or to a strong vocational approach, doing the thing that they really believe that they were. And that is doing what you are. Yeah, it just seems like we, we got, I mean, th- there's a lot of kids like that. There's a lot of kids. I mean, my oldest daughter, and, and to a degree, my younger daughter, they're 22 and 17, you know, they still don't know what they, what, what is that? Like, what is that passion? And so one of the things when I speak at UT to undergraduate and graduate level students, is students that are in the College of Business and the College of Finance, you know, when you first get out of college, you may not be in the, it might not be exactly what you want it to be, but pursue everything with passion and excellence and then find over time what that calling is and pursue it with passion and excellence. Yeah, there is that. I mean, there is a valid argument that it may be unclear to you, um, but I believe that there is some message there and we should try to nurture that as the individuals in charge of education. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Um, are you planning on returning to space? Yes, I am. Uh, on a near-Earth orbit like the ISS or maybe even something more uh, aggressive? No, I'd like to go back, and, and the folks at Axiom already know this, uh, you know, when they get their module up and they'll have availability, they've promised me a spacewalk. So, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, yeah, they, well, yeah it's, uh, that's, my, that's my next 10-year-old dream, I suppose. Uh, I, I grew up watching, uh, if you remember, Ed White do the first spacewalk uh-huh. for America, and I painted a picture of Ed White in that spacewalk when I was 10, uh, and I took a copy of that picture to space. So oh, that would just scare me. <laughs> this idea of it. Uh, what, what, what is that anti-gravity effect? I mean, how well can you train for that versus what you actually experience? Uh, well, they trained for it really well. You know, the, the NASA has the, nultra, the neutral buoyancy lab, the NBL in Houston, where it's a big swimming pool, you know, 40 billion gallon swimming pool. Uh, and it mimics most of that pretty well. So they practice, basically, they're practicing the, the procedures of what they're doing so that they, they've got a full right. mock-up underwater. Uh, so it's really hard to mimic uh, a low gravity effect. That was one of the hardest things for me on the space station was moving really? around. That was it, that was the most frustrating thing was you see the astronauts floating around when you go to YouTube and look at all these ISS videos and they're just flying like Superman in and out. They make it look really easy. Uh, it's actually really, really hard. Well, John Schaffner, astronaut, just returned from the International Space Station. It's fascinating to hear about all this. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and for your passion at helping with education with kids. Wonderful. Very nice talking to you, Jim. Absolutely. That's John Schaffner. We've discussed space exploration because a greater understanding 
and greater scientific discovery leads to more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you for tuning in. Check us out online at BroganFinancial.com. Thank you to Chris for engineering the board. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. Have a very blessed weekend. We'll see you on the radio next week as you've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.